0: Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Well, today we find in the middle of our sermon series that I've entitled, Love Reigns. We began, of course, on Easter Sunday when we discovered that even though Jesus was mocked by being called King of the Jews with a sign over his head and people yelling at him, The clearest proof of his authority was not in avoiding the cross or his ability to come down from the cross, but the clearest proof of his authority was defeating the cross and then, of course, rising from the dead. Last week, we were encouraged to know that we are united with Christ through faith in him, and because of that, you and I are a new creation, as Paul says. Our past no longer defines us, doesn't matter anymore. It's the love of God that caused Jesus to endure that for us on the cross, and it is the love of God today that forgives our past, allows love to reign in our lives. And so today, we're going to continue the series, and we're going to see how love reigns over our present because of God's great mercy, and we can live lives that honor Him, knowing that and having faith in Him. So when we were kids, most of us probably remember playing the game Simon Says. And if you don't remember, we're going to have a little group activity just in case to refresh your memory. So the odds are that some of you are going to not remember. So here's how it's played. Simon Says, do something, you do something. If Simon doesn't tell you to do something, you don't do it. Sounds simple, doesn't it? Let's try. And participation at home, too. I'll know if you're not. Here we go. Simon says, clap your hands. Simon says, stop. Simon says, and i got to look closely, blink your eyes. Simon says, stop. Simon says, stomp your feet. Simon says, stop. Simon says, look up. Simon says, look down. Okay, eyes back on me. Ha ha. Got a lot of you, didn't I? Simon did not say, look back at me. Good job, those of you who kept your head down. All right. So everybody can look back at me now for real. We're done with Simon Says. Yeah, some of you moved, even though Simon didn't tell you to move. Simon Says is a test of your ability to listen and then overcome some normal habits, right, to be able to discern that you should or should not be doing something. It's a test, Because we've all been given our own will, our own understanding, our own reasoning, right? And this will consists of our desires, our habits, our perspectives, and past convictions. And as we live out each day, you and I make literally thousands of decisions. Decisions to do this or not to do this. Decisions whether to listen to Simon or or listen to yourself or listen to someone else or listen to God. We're constantly having to weigh out the options and choose what we think is best. Sometimes our decisions are influenced by things that maybe we've been told to do, and we often find ourselves obedient, even future times, about people and from people that didn't have our best interests in mind. You'll probably think of some times and occasions in our life where somebody has shared with us to do something and it came back to bite us or maybe we realize afterwards that wasn't a good idea i know kids have that problem deciding what's right or wrong make good choices is something that we say often in our house however god's love for us gives us another option we don't have to be listening to the world we don't have to be listening to those people trying to lead us down wrong paths we can listen to god And God's Word and God's truth is so very clear. And the wonderful promise that we have if we do listen to God's Word and His truth is that His plan for us is always for our best interest. The best decision we can make each day is to follow His will. So my first point today is... My choices and your choices reveal who reigns in our lives. The things that we choose to do or not to do show who we are listening to. And our lives are made up largely by the decisions that we make. And many of us know by past life experience that we can be in a real painful test to realize somewhere along the way our allegiance has shifted away from things being made right for us. And we've put our allegiance in the wrong person. Or the wrong group or the wrong ideal our past is simply a collection of all of our choices whether they be wise or unwise choices that we've made along our way and we learned last week our past no longer controls us no longer defines us but here we are in the present and we have one critical question if I do look back on my past decisions who would I conclude was in charge How many of the decisions that I make each day are a result of my obedience to God? Or how many of those choices are a result of an obedience to our sinful nature, our sinful desires? Or maybe do we have a voice prompting us, and maybe it's from the perspective of the world, culture, society. The Apostle Paul has a whole lot to say in many of his books about living lives under God's authority and under God's influence rather than the influence of the world. He frequently focuses on this topic because as followers of Christ, we are so tempted. We've got a target on our back, the world, sinful flesh, Satan himself. We want to do what is right by God. We don't want to follow those who don't have our best wishes in mind. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, he says, listen up, I've got something important to say. By the mercies of God, and we're going to come back to that phrase, the mercies of God. Paul says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Paul begins first by saying that every instruction that's about to follow in this letter, or in this chapter of this letter at least, is going to have to be seen through a specific lens or a specific perspective And in order to fully grasp these words that I'm going to tell you, Paul says, you have to live in the present and you have to see life a certain way. His comments cannot be appreciated in any other way than a specific lens, and we're going to talk about that. Have you ever been traveling? Maybe it's around the city, maybe around the country, maybe in another country, and you've come upon a scenic overlook. Some of them are so beautiful. And sometimes they have that fixed set of binoculars that you can look through. Now, my opportunities and experiences I've had with them have not been very good, probably because I wear glasses and they get in the way or because the eyepiece is not in the right spot for me to look or it's blurry or it's scratched or whatever the case. Rarely am I happy with the view that I've gotten, especially if I've paid 25 cents or maybe even more. But if you give me a good set of binoculars, That can change everything it can be amazing to look through that lens and see things up close that you could barely make out with your naked eye the beautiful sights of the skyline the mountains the lakes and streams and trees it can change everything and all because you changed your perspective your point of view See, this is Paul's goal through this passage and others. He wants us to change the way that we look at life. He wants us to reorient ourselves and the way we see our present situation and circumstance. So he says that phrase, in view of God's mercy, this is the lens, God's mercy. Just this one thing could change your life. Because how many of us walk around some days grumbling and complaining about our current present circumstance? Not all the time, but sometimes, right? We're often not satisfied with our lot in life. And so what do we try to do? We try to make them better. We try to fix those things that need fixing. And so often, especially us men, right, we need to do it on our own. We're not going to ask anybody for help. We can fix it. We can do it. But I'm talking to you women, too, because some of you have control issues as well. (laughs) So Paul invites both men and women to see things differently, to see things through the lens of mercy. Mercy is something that we get that we don't deserve. What God gives to us is absolutely what we do not deserve. If he gave us what we deserved, it would not be pretty. We would not be happy. But God has been so merciful to us. He sent his one and only son to die on a cross. That's mercy. He's offered us a fresh start to repentance. That's mercy. He loves us unconditionally, even though we were his enemies. That, my friends, is mercy. Having this understanding, this perspective, can change our present by helping us move our focus from what we want to do or have done to us what God wants to do or have done for us and to us. Because when we turn our attention towards the mercy of God and away from our own thoughts and conditions, then we will be compelled to respond, to live lives that are holy and pleasing to God, as Paul said. Paul brings up this interesting concept of sacrifice. Maybe it doesn't mean as much to New Testament Christians, but sacrifice was an idea that was rich with imagery especially for the audience that Paul was speaking to. You see, a sacrifice always involved taking a life, whether it be an animal, a goat, a sheep, a bull, a bird, whatever the case may be. And God set up a system whereby that animal's lifeblood would atone for the sins of the people that lifeblood would cover over the sins of the one performing the sacrifice or for the one for whom the sacrifice is being made. It involved taking a life, and what did it offer? It offered life back. Therefore, Jesus' death was considered the ultimate sacrifice for all of humanity That's why Paul is using that imagery for his initial hearers, and it works so well for us today as well. He talks about being a living sacrifice. What did Paul mean by that? I think if we go back to the Psalms, specifically Psalm 51, David writes, he's having a conversation with God. He's praising God, being in communication with God. He's saying, for you, God, do not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. And here's the point. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, a heart that understands how far away we live our lives from God. Finishing up saying, oh God, you will not despise. So David is shedding light on the real reason for this sacrificial system that the Jews had in place. He's referring, as Jesus often did, to this insincere act just going about the motions without really having your heart in the right place. It's so critical to understand that no sacrifice by itself is sufficient for forgiveness. Sacrifice always must be accompanied by a repentant heart. The true sacrifice of a Jesus follower is a regretful, apologetic, and contrite heart. We come together for confession at the beginning of each service which we did after the baptism today. We understand what God is doing for us in the words of holy absolution that pastor shares on God's behalf from God. He is giving us an understanding that we are now covered because of what Jesus did. You see, what God is looking for us, now that Jesus has paid it all by his own blood, Paul says we are to be living sacrifices And friends, this may sound easy, but it really is pretty difficult. It's much more difficult, in fact, than being a dead sacrifice. Because a dead sacrifice, it doesn't have any control anymore. It has to just lay on that altar. But a living sacrifice has options. It can decide to crawl off of the altar. A living sacrifice can turn back to its old way of life, its old habits, its old natural ways at any time. Paul says, don't live like that. Paul says, in view of God's mercy, live your lives as a living sacrifice. Live a life right now in the present under the rule and reign of love. And that is being repentant, knowing you've done wrong, feeling you've done wrong, wanting to do better and obedient to God. Paul continues in our passage from Romans to give us what should be the ultimate outcome of living the sacrificial life. He doesn't just say, go do this and it'll be good. He says, go do this and it will be very good. Paul says, do not be conformed to this world. Don't listen to the world. Don't give in to the world. But instead, be transformed from within by a renewal of your mind that by testing Trying different things, looking at different things, weighing your options, looking at God's truths, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That sounds awesome. Because we know, and I don't need to tell you this, that the world has patterns that lead us often to negativity. The world is marked by patterns of greed and selfishness, pride, envy, and gossip, and all those other words in that word cloud. You see it every night on the nightly news if you watch it. This need for people to have the last word. This need for people to be seen as being right, even though they are absolutely not right. And the need to make the other guy or the other side or that other gal look bad to make themselves look good. And friends, these patterns are so easy to fall into, and, but they can be so difficult to change. Now I use the term patterns here because patterns are often routine and done a bit mindlessly, but patterns can also be identified and then changed. Point number two today, changing your patterns will change your life. With a little attention, patterns can be easily identified. It's a skill we've been learning since we were young kids. In my wife Kinlan's first grade classroom, one of the many skill stations she has around the room is the calendar. And the calendar is made up of dates, of course, and each and every day the kids decide what comes next. So you and I are going to see if we're smarter than a first grader. What comes next? So if I wanted to fill the card on Tuesday, April 26th, what comes next? If I look carefully. If I see that there are orange triangles and yellow triangles and green circles. I've been told that it's green. I can't really tell. But what do you think I would put on the 26th? Anyone? A triangle. What color? A red orange triangle. Okay, good. You're colorblind too. Thank you. (laughs) And so after close examination, we understand what comes next. A red or orange or burnt umber triangle would go on April 26th. And how do we know that? Because we looked at the pattern, we saw that there was a pattern, and we identified what came next. To identify patterns, sometimes we have to change our perspective a little bit. We would have to put our eyes in mind of a, of, a, of a first grader, right? To be able to do this, to be able to sit in Ms. Kindlin's classroom, Mrs. Schultz, actually, at school. She's Mrs. Schultz. She's right back there. What do we need to do? You're raising your hand? I'm wrong. Okay. What's wrong? What's next? Oh, there's a pattern within a pattern. Oh, we're not smarter than a first grader. (laughs) Wow, I got to redo my sermon from last night because those five o'clock people didn't realize that. Okay, see, she is tricky. I thought this was kind of simple because I was in her class one day in March and it was a real complicated one. And I said, well, this one's pretty easy. So, yeah, so now now you've shared with us, Mrs. Schultz. Miss Kinlan at church, but Mrs. Schultz at school, it's kind of confusing that we need to worry about those little circles beside the big circles in the triangles. All right. I'll have to study that more later. All right. Getting back to the point. To identify patterns, we often have to have a changed perspective. We need to have someone who understands patterns to be able to help us with those things. And who is better able to understand patterns than God. Paul shares with us the way that we see patterns in our life is to look at the lens of life through God's mercy. Because when we understand God's mercy and love for us, we find a reason to change our lives, to renew our minds. Because maybe you've developed a pattern of talking down to yourself every time you make a simple little mistake. And what does that lead to? A feeling of depression. A feeling of anxiety. I'm not going to do anything in case I do something wrong. Then I have to talk bad to myself and it becomes a cycle, right? Friends, break the pattern. Don't conform to that pattern any longer. Or maybe you've noticed this pattern of telling lies to people around you. Even when the lies don't really matter, they're just tiny things. But what does that lead to? It leads to a deceptive lifestyle. Don't conform to that pattern. Maybe you've seen a pattern of laziness in your life. Maybe it's produced kind of a spirit of apathy when you go to work or apathy towards your family or other life experiences. In view of God's mercy, friends, don't allow that pattern to control you. Break that pattern. Identify it and then break it and experience a new life. Which brings me to my third and final point. We need to trade our will in for God's will. The ultimate outcome, as Paul said, of a sacrificial life and a renewed mind is an improved ability to distinguish what? The will of God for our lives. He only has the best for us. So if we can figure out what he has intended for us and his will for our lives, that is only going to become good for us. How many of us have ever struggled wondering what kind of a decision to make i could go this way or i could go that way i think every one of us could raise our hands many of us want to do what god wants us to do when it comes to our career serving others serving zion serving our families investing our energy and our talents and paul says the best way to find the will of god is by trading in our own will and instead seeking god's will creating better patterns in our life that will go towards that goal. Because if you were to trade in all the time and the energy you have made going down those old habits and old paths, wouldn't that be wonderful if you could trade that all in and get that energy back and be able to use it for something that God has in store for you? Under the rule and reign of God's love and God's mercy in your life, some options you have, some real specific things that you can do to find the voice of God in your life is read Scripture more. Not just Sunday morning or Wednesday evening. Read a little more on your own. Maybe come to Bible studies. We've got a Zoom Bible study Sunday evenings. We've got an in-person Bible study Sunday mornings. Maybe more in the future. Who knows? Be in fellowship with each other. Come to these kinds of opportunities to worship with each other, whether that be online or whether that be in person. Serve others. Find ways to serve. Which leads me to the nominations letter that some of you still have not returned to me. Remember I said, return your nominations letters. We sent out 53, I think it was. I'm still looking for a few. You can say yes. I'd love that. You can say no. I don't like that as much. But if you do say no, make sure you say what else you might be interested in. I think my talents and skills lie here, Pastor Dan. So please do that. The book of Proverbs speaks on this truth of following God's will. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. All your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Are you tired of zigzagging your way through life and making long roundabout turns? Wouldn't it be so much easier to just drive straight? To just go straight on the path of life? When we trust the Lord and we question our old understanding, our old viewpoint and perspective, and we look at God's perspective for us, we can maybe begin to see that straight path for our life. The trust that the author of Proverbs is talking about is something that God's love is always seeking us, always making and looking for the best for us. And we can rely on that love. And we can obey God because of it. I'm going to wrap up with this illustration. If you're a parent, you'll understand this immediately. Being a parent is not always fun and games. While I certainly enjoy all of my kids, maybe not all of the time, because there's been a fair share of struggles and difficulties along the way. Doesn't mean I don't love my kids, don't get me wrong. But my kids have a will and desire of their own, and often that will and desire is in conflict with my will and desire for them. One of the hardest things to teach our kids is that they can trust us, that we have their best interest at heart. We're not saying no because we don't want it, because we know what God wants for us and our lives and their lives. So when we say no to something, when we instruct them in some way, even when we punish them and discipline them, we are doing those things out of love, and because Kinlan and I want the best for our kids. And you can insert your own name and your own kids' names in that statement as well. But we know that trust is such a hard thing to learn and an even harder thing to teach sometimes. But if we're going to live the full life that God has in store for us, we must trust that his love overrides everything else in our life. So as we wrap up our time today, and we look forward to our sermon finale next week, I want to encourage you. Pastor Neil does the challenging. I do encouraging, right? I want to encourage you to spend some time. You'll have time yet after your nap today or after the Zoom meeting tonight. Spend some time really considering the negative patterns and habits in your life. And if you don't think you have any, maybe you need to do a little bit more work examining those patterns in your life. Consider what you can do, whether it be big or whether it be something small, to change towards a more godly perspective To see yourself as God sees you, not as the world sees you, not even sometimes as we see ourselves. What would it mean for you to give in to God's will fully? 100%, because so many of us will give God 90%, 95%, but we keep that last little bit for ourselves, right? To let his love reign totally in your life today, what would that mean? Now, I know the answer, and I think you know the answer. It would be a wonderful thing for you and your relationship with him, your relationships in this life. And I pray that this message will be a blessing to you and give you some things to think about. In the wonderful name of our risen Savior, Jesus. Amen.